Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. We're on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Pete Sweeney here, still figuring out how we're going to fill this podcast lineup. So in the meantime, I decided to invite an old friend onto the show. Sean Barber, formerly of Arrowhead Pride, now with Chiefs.com and Defending the Kingdom podcast. We were talking last week. We wanted to talk NFL draft. Reached out to Sean, said, let's talk about the Chiefs class. How you doing, Sean? Man, it's like a blast from the past. So great to be back <laughs> on with you, man. Talk some Chiefs like we do. Uh, remember how we used to chop it up in the basement of your That's old crib, right. going over that all 22 film, figuring out how we want to make this team a championship team. And look at it. Yeah, look at it now. We started the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel. It was in my house. We would watch tape in my small attic like bedroom and then we'd go back to the dining room and now look at you you're with chiefs.com you're a chiefs ambassador what should people know about what you've been getting involved in before we dip into this class man the chiefs ambassadors are always doing things in the community um, trying to spread our footprint doing more things as far as young kids for hospitals you know we do we have a partnership with big brothers big sisters with camp quality in the missouri side obviously with ku medical health systems and so we're always doing hospital visits. You know, I love going around kissing, kissing newborn babies and helping people <laughs> who are dealing with you know, uh, brain surgeries and heart surgeries to just right. know that the kingdom loves them, help them get back on their feet. So always just so, so glad to be a part of the kingdom, man, and helping the community in any way we can. And I am the, the president of the Kansas City Chiefs Ambassadors now, the president. Well, congratulations. I was actually about to joke that you're the mayor, but you actually have a title with the Chiefs Ambassadors. I, I, so I, have, a, I, have, I have a title. I, I don't even need president. to call you that. That's perfect. Okay. Well, let's, let's get into this NFL draft. So the NFL draft happened last weekend. Mm -hmm. And I think the key to the class as a whole was getting Orlando Brown Jr. locked up. And they sent that first round pick. And I think that that allowed Brett Veach and the team to really go in a lot of different directions. And what happened, quite frankly, is the board fell to the Chiefs in a way where they could at least take players of value at positions of need. And I think that all stemmed from the Brown trade, because say you don't make the Brown trade and you really got to go up and maybe get a tackle. I know Tevin Jenkins ended up being there at 31, but it isn't a given that he's going to start on day one. So you address that need. And it really, I think, Sean, opened things up for the Chiefs. Being able to get O Brown, it really just set, like you say, it set the board back. It made us be able to reset the board, look for depth, look for quality, how to bring in competition in each position group. Like you said, I think since Brett Beach and Andy got here, the thing they look at, they never want to go into the draft with holes in the roster. Right. They like to believe day one of the draft, if they needed to, they could go play a game right now, line up, and have 11 on both sides of the ball, special teams <laughs> all filled in, and be ready to go kick somebody's butt on the first day of the draft without adding any players. And I think that's a, a constant theme that they've carried over year after year. And that's why they are probably so successful at bringing back such continuity 
when you talk about the, the you know the veteran base, the veteran lace um, team in the level of play you see on the field come Sundays. Absolutely. And, and so I think they went and they got, again, positions of need, but maybe not necessarily players that need to start on day one, but I think they really like a lot of the upside of these players. Let's start with the picks, right? So you make that trade with the Ravens and you suddenly don't have a first rounder, but, and I, I don't know why the Ravens did this, but they sent the second rounder back. Really, to me, that was the key to the trade for the Chiefs, but they have two second rounders. They start at number 58 overall, linebacker out of Missouri. Your position, Sean, Nick Bolton. What did you make of this pick? Man, I like this guy, man. He's a, he's a guy who plays with his, with his hair on fire. He's an he's a impact linebacker. Uh, he makes boom hit impact hits. He makes game changing when he, when, when he, when he delivers the blow. When, a, when an offensive player gets hit by Nick Bolton, the offensive player stops. He stops him in his track. And we got a lot of Mizzou. I work with Mizzou fans. And they were so excited about how having that, you know, that uh, guy they've been seeing for the last few years play, M-I-Z-Z-O-U. He's been, you know, holding it down. One of the defensive player of the years, you know, I believe over the last few years as yeah. far as, you know, his, 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 just his total tackles um, in the 2019-2020 season. Over 100 tackles two years in a row playing SEC football, which we know is like a semi-pro. Yeah, the <laughs> a creme de la so, creme. It's the creme de la creme. And so he's, he's, he's used to, you know, facing the NFL style running backs, the tackles, the guards. Yeah. Um, there's no lack of size in the SEC. And when you talk about a linebacker, man, he's able to go sideline to sideline. He's a playmaker. I was thinking about like who would, you know, personally I compare him to. Man, there, there's, there, there's, there's many linebackers I play with, but I look at a guy like Antonio Pierce. Mm. Uh, Antonio Pierce was a guy that played for Coach Spags. I think yep. he played for Coach Spags back in the Giants when they won the Super Bowl, but a guy that never leaves the field. Well, what's interesting, I think, with Bolton, the way the NFL goes, you try if you can, and the Chiefs got a little bit, I think, backloaded last year because of all the injuries at offensive line, but you try, if you can, to load position groups, right? So in the future, if an Anthony Hitchens is no longer with the club, Bolton comes in. But what's perfect about the situation, and we know Anthony Hitchens, you've worked with him as well, John, He's going to bring this guy along. So they addressed him and, and they I've already said that they see Nick Bolton as a possible will. They see him more so, though, as a Mike. And who better to learn than under Hitchens, who's going to bring him along? And if, if there's a scenario where either Hitchens contract runs out or the club decides to move on, you have a year of that mentorship. And Bolton at that point should be ready to go. And one thing I asked him right after he was selected was how comfortable are you going to be making the calls? He's, he said he's ready to go now, but there's going to certainly be, Sean, an NFL learning curve to that. Oh, definitely. Especially when Coach Spag's defense, there's a learning curve at that Mike position. I mean, it's not an easy position to make the calls, make the adjustments. You got to be able to see the entire field. Uh, backfield sets, uh, you got to know the wide receiver strength, pass and run. Because sometimes you set the front a different way than you set the passing strength um, yep. as far as the coverages and stuff like that. So, but he's a very headsy type linebacker. He's a guy who's been like, like he's been making the calls. It's not something that's foreign to him. And so I see him being able to make a make, make an impact. I played with a guy named Omar Gaither um, when we was with the Eagles. He was a guy okay. that came out of Tennessee. Yeah. About the same size as this young man, but not as physical. Uh, Omar, uh, apologize. Not as physical as, as Nick Bolton, <laughs> but I see him following that same role. Omar came from Tennessee. He started making the calls, and before you knew it, halfway through the season, he was an every-down linebacker on the field, playing uh, Will on base, playing Mike on third down in the passing situations. When you have a guy that can make these plays, and he has the capability and the maturity to be able to go out there and, and, and run the huddle, 
the last thing you want to do is leave them off the field because you got you know an older veteran or somebody in front of them. So he's gonna he's gonna push uh, Anthony Hitchens, the hitman, to even play at a higher level to remain our starting linebacker. And if not, like you said, Hitchens does a great job of mentoring the young guys and helping them learn on the field. Yeah, and I I think. This position in particular probably should have jumped out a little bit more going into the draft. I get asked on Arrowhead Pride and 41 and 610, you know, where is the need of this team? Once Damian Wilson left and went to the Jacksonville Jaguars, this was a thin, thin position and, and perhaps even the thinnest on the team. And so you get a little talent in there. It's young talent. It's developmental talent and potentially some progress maybe this year where he is contributing Maybe look at week five, week six. Who knows how fast he can come along there. I want to move on to the next pick, Sean. And it was in the same round, just five picks later. Offensive lineman Creed Humphrey. This, to me, was a game changer because suddenly, I think, you have a big competition at center. We already knew that there was going to be competition at at right tackle and right guard. It kind of seemed like that competition maybe wasn't there for the center position. Now with Humphrey, I think you, you see a competition with him and Austin Blythe there. Man, Creed Humphreys is a type of uh, offensive lineman that I think brings so much solidarity to the uh, I mean, we, we have veterans playing. We got, but we got guys that are going to start in front of them, but he'll bring a level like we say, a water rises all ships. I think that's what Creed Humphrey is. He's the water that's going to go into the ocean. It's going to keep everybody's play level going up. Former wrestler in high school. Yeah. Um, he's great, great balance, great feet. Great hands, strong hands. Those are things that high school wrestlers bring into college and you, you hopefully um, are with a program that keeps developing those attributes and those traits. What we know about Oklahoma, because one of his teammates was Orlando Brown, so having those two back uh, in the same room, they'll push each other, man. Competition breeds competition. And so uh, I'm excited to see Creed Humphrey bring his mentals, his skills, his motivation, his that edginess, that boomer sooner mentality to our offensive line room. He's going to create great depth and great competition in that offensive line. And I, I just, I think it's been a fantastic job by Brett Veach to address the offensive line, even going into the draft. And then there was no satisfaction, like just such a pretty clear movement to make sure that last year didn't repeat itself. And I, I think you look at his height and weight here, Creed Humphrey, six five, three twenty. There was, Certainly, I think an emphasis this offseason to go and get some bigger bodies to protect Patrick Mahomes, right? Like you went from a a situation where I think there were occasional times when out of structure happened and you were okay with it. And and I think at times it was even encouraged. But this to me is now a Chiefs team, especially with Humphrey here. If he can he can start right away. And we saw that with Mitch Morse, uh, who was taken in, in a similar position. I think it's an offensive line that doesn't want Patrick Mahomes to be touched. Don't you feel that yes. way? Man, when you say that, with three seasons at Oklahoma, the young man played almost 1,300 passing snaps, gave up zero sacks. Let's say that again, zero sacks and only 20 pressures yeah. and 1,300 passing snaps. Now, he had a very mobile, always had a very mobile quarterback behind him, but as an offensive line being a part of that unit, that's a great stat right there. And when you talk about creating an offensive front in front of your franchise quarterback, you have an elite talent at that quarterback position. He needs to know he has some true dogs, some alphas in front of him so he can look down the field, keep his eyes down the field, look at coverage and not look at the pass rush. And Pat Mahomes has always been able to do that. He's, he's actually one of the best quarterbacks in the league as far as creating extra time. But, it, but he shouldn't always have to. He shouldn't always have to create extra time. And I think we got some guys 
We have rebuilt, retooled this offensive line. I'm so excited to see this offensive line have a shot um, and this year trying to um, get back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I agree. It, it it's, it's completely overhauled. And I think you're even going to have some extra players that you can move potentially at the end of, of camp in like that reverse Martinez Rankin style trade because you're only going to keep 10, 11 offensive linemen. There are some starters that could maybe start around the league that are either going to be cut or traded and maybe get some assets in next year's draft and continue to, to build for the future. All right, let's move on to the fourth round back to the defensive side of the football six, seven, two sixty five out of Florida state. It's Joshua Kando. What did you make of this pick, Sean? Hey man, if you want to replace Passano, this was the number one guy on the board to try to replace what Passano brought to this defense. 6'7", 265 pounds from FSU playing in the ACC, high-end, uber athletics. He, he Actually, he's a better athlete than he is a football player. He probably could put a basketball hand and be one of the, the, the top right. basketball guys coming out. He's just all over the board, over a 10-foot vertical. I'm running a 4'6", 8'40". And it's not about his 40 time. It was his 10 and his 20 split. When we talk about the first 10 yards and first 20 yards, he has one of the highest 10 yard and 20 yard splits that they have seen since 1987. This guy's, when you talk about his matrix, the right. matrix of his analytics and his measurables, they say go back to 1987 to find somebody that is just this athletic, this fast, this quick, that's explosive. And so when those numbers start jumping the board, and what they do is when you see a, a analytics matrix, it has all these squares and the squares are either green, yellow or red. He had green in so many places. It just looked like one big green stop sign. And when you see a guy that green across the board, when you talk about matrix and you have a chance to get him this late in the draft. And that guy, he, he reminds me a lot of Javon Curse, the freak. Wow. That's a big name right there. This player also was available because he did have an ankle injury in college and it seemed to affect his production. And so you're right about the testing and really the key to this pick, and you kind of alluded to it, but it's going to be Steve Spagnolo and Brendan Daly who are now going to be given this kid. And with all of that athleticism, it's can you coach him up to be another potential starter there across from Frank Clark? And I, I think that's good competition too, where maybe even underrated, where maybe we're not talking about it enough, where you're going to have Joshua Kando and you're going to have Taco Charlton and Mike Dana. And it's a situation you're going to be up against a really good offensive line in training camp and may the best man win. Who do you think, uh, Sean, with this Kando pick is, is starting in the base opposite of Frank Clark week one? Hey, man, I see this young man has a, the, the talent to come out the gate. Okay. Um, being the opposite of Frank Clark, you know that he, you know, most of the lines, the tension's going to slide to Frank. So you'll be one-on-one with a bunch of... Uh, you know, and don't forget Chris Jones and Jaron Reed. I mean, there's a lot of nasty one-on-ones that opposing offensive lines are going to have to deal with. But I, I didn't mean to cut you off. You think Kando can start right away? Well, the, the unique thing about Coach Spag's defense is when we get to passing downs, we have a package called the Joker package. And this Joker package actually replaces a rangy, long guy like this young man from Florida State. And you put him actually you replace the Mike linebacker. So you have okay. a wheel linebacker and then a Joker linebacker. Okay. This Joker linebacker, he, he blitzes up the middle, blitzes off the edge. He covers a tight end. He does all these a numerous amount of things, but he's, he's hard for an offensive line to account for. Because they see the four defensive linemen already in the game, and those are the guys they count as the down linemen. It's almost like a first-level Tyron Matthew, in a sense, where you just don't know what he's going to be doing. 
Exactly. A jack of all trades, a master of none. But what he does is he gets to the quarterback like no other. And that's a, I'll that's say that too loud, Sean. Uh, Tyron Matthew will be in your mentions. You better be careful with that. Man. <laughs> yeah. So those are the first three picks there in rounds two. And then, of course, for Nick Bolton, Creed Humphrey and Joshua Kando. Those were the Chiefs first three selections. All right, Sean, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the final three picks of this NFL draft. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Pete Sweeney, joined by who I just found out is the Chiefs Ambassador President, Mr. Sean Barber. El Presidente. There he is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You you are are something. I, maybe I'll I'll put maybe I'll put hail to the chief under this as as I, like I in, introduce you I like for it. this segment. All right. So we're into the second half of this draft class. There were six picks for the Kansas City Chiefs that happened last weekend. We talked about Nick Bolton, Creed Humphrey, and Joshua Kando. We're going to move on now to the number 162 pick, and we talk about how aggressive Brett Veach is. This was the only trade of the NFL draft where the Chiefs swapped picks with the New York Jets. They got an even trade and they went up and they got this Duke tight end, Noah Gray, 6'4", 240 pounds and already, and I can tell that the Chiefs are trying to help themselves here, but they're they're already saying that he is trade similar to Travis Kelsey. You know what? The, the guy, I think he's a little bit more similar to maybe is like a Dallas Clark. Okay. Um, I don't think he has the, the, I don't think his hips are as fluid as Travis. I don't think he has the amount of size and the, the catch radius is, is Kelsey. I mean, Kelsey is a very unique uh, athlete. And I think oh, what makes him so a, unique. He's a Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame tight end. What, so what that's what's Kelsey tough. so unique is this his willingness to work on the field at his craft, learning the nuances of the routes to make sure him and Pat are on the same page. That's the element that once you get a guy in the building, you never know how dedicated he is to learning those nuances, how much, uh, how willing he is to work extra. Yeah. Uh, and those, what he does. those are the plays that you see where Kelsey and Mahomes seem to be mind reading each other. It's yes. incredible to watch. And so if Noah Gray can come in and learn and, and understand that, Hey man, get the trust of your quarterback and you're going to be heavily involved, even with Kelsey on the field. I mean, we've seen Andy Reid in the past and it's been a little bit few and far between because I, I think of the personnel. He really likes these heavy two tight end type of sets. So there's going to be opportunity for Gray if he follows Kelsey and gets the trust of Mahomes. And look, this is not going to be another thousand yard receiver, but there's going to be opportunity there, I think. Oh, definitely he's going to get some targets just because the lack of ability to double, you can't, you can't double Kelsey, right. double Terry Hill, and have a, 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 even a good matchup left with, with Noah Gray. And the fact that he played so much slot receiver at Duke, he's basically a, a very large receiver who's able to get down in line and, and, and uh, assume the tight end position, but he's more of a, a large slot receiver. And he has some great wiggles, some great hips and stuff like that. So I think at Duke, I showed him having uh, 237 snaps in the slot compared to only 140 at the actual tight end position. Okay. And he actually also plays an H-back, over 100 snaps of H-back. So, uh, again, we, we're getting some very versatile athletes here into the kingdom. Right. And when you talk about Andy Reid, you know, when he opens up the playbook and you start seeing H's and Y's and Z's all over the place, it's, it's, it really affects you defensively. You have to you have to be so tuned in on every snap about alignment assignment, knowing the personnel. Sometimes that takes you off of your ability to execute. Quick note on Gray on on the potential for an H back. Of course, Anthony Sherman is no longer here, and I think Andy Reid has been seeking this type of hybrid weapon 
since having John Lovett in camp and it didn't really work out with, with Lovett. And I think gray does fit that bill. And you're right, man, you can move all these receivers in all different kinds of formations. And how confusing is that for a defense when you could basically make up a playbook week by week with different guys going in different areas. And I, I see this for Noah gray too. I mean, we talked about the competition, Nick Bolton joins the thin room. I think there's opportunity there. I think Creed Humphrey is going to be in for an actual competition between, Austin Blythe and Nick Allegretti. Kane Doe, I think, will be in a competition, like I said, with Taco Charlton and a Mike Dana. Noah Gray is up against Blake Bell and Nick Kaiser. This, to me, is going to be the clear-cut tight end, too. You know, nothing against those guys, but it just seems like his tools are going to be so much more valuable to the Chiefs right away than would be a, a Bell or a Kaiser. hundred percent. He has a skill set that they just can't. I mean, you can't coach athleticism. You can coach right. X's and O's. You can tell a guy where to line up. But once the ball is snapped, the ability to actually create separation to get away from people to, to be able to sink your hips and get in out of breaks. And then we talk about a drop rate. This guy has some phenomenal hands. I think he had a 2.0, which means out of 100 targets, he only dropped two balls in college. That kind of drop rate where we create a lot of trust in one Pat Mahomes. And that's one thing that, you know, we, we did realize with, with some of the backup targets, backup threats we had to go. Sometimes Pat put the ball in the right places late in the season. Yep. And our receivers just weren't able to come up with it. I know that you won't say this, so I'll say it. You said a good catch rate. This is not a Demetrius Harris situation. You don't have to worry about that, Chiefs fans. <laughs> Moving on to our final two picks. Uh, number 181, wide receiver Cornell Powell out of Clemson, already getting comparisons to potentially what Sammy Watkins offered the Chiefs during his yes. tenure here. Yes, having, uh, you know, Cornell Powell, another Clemson guy. You know, Clemson was a college program that's so deep. They're so deep at the wide receiver position, it's hard to see a guy actually get on the field and showcase his talents until well, late Sean, in his college career. If, if Richmond is linebacker you, Clemson is wide receiver you, is it not? I mean, this is, seems like a wide receiver factory that comes out of Clemson University. <laughs> well, we all know Penn State is actually linebacker you. LeVar Arrington, <laughs> Michael Parsons, they, that's the true linebacker you, but okay. I, I, will ex I will accept Richmond being something, okay. uh, maybe of a, a smaller version of linebacker you. <laughs> that's my alma mater, always a spider. You are strong. But this young man, man, like, you know, saying six foot 210, he's a true X receiver. And that's something that I think we missed in our wide receiver room. Um, the closest thing we have to that is Pringle has Byron the body Pringle. size to be a true X, but just maybe, you know, just, just hasn't really um, showcased the ability to. I don't know if targets. he's had necessarily the opportunity yep. yet. And I think this is the year for that. And I, I see Cornell Powell. And I think let's be honest, like he's, he's available on day three for a reason. He might develop into an option there. I think that is still going to be a wide receiver battle among the veterans. Powell certainly make the team because you know you selected him in the draft but I, i'm looking at pal and his contributions maybe for 22 but this will be i think more of a, a pringle year let him learn under those guys and sean you know this this is really good motivation for robinson for pringle and for hardman because if they don't as they say come correct one of these guys might be out of a job this year Oh, definitely. Between Pringle, Robinson, and Mikel Hartman, the, the drafting of Powell to this receiver core, like he's he's young. He has a hungry, um, a hungry got a bunch of talent. Yeah. And so you look going forward, um, there's only so much, you know, resources to be paid to that position. Right. And some guys are going to get priced out, phased out. 
And when you look at the board, if this young man is bringing on and he's showing that he's able to put in the work, that's the one thing going in the training camp you're going to see. You know, personally, I always have a problem with Demi Robinson, the way he carries the ball. But if I'm a coach, I'm going to tell you one time, tuck the ball away. Yep. If I don't see you tuck the ball away, hey, put the rookie in Clemson in. I bet that ball gets tucked away. Wait, so you're saying, up- you're saying you're not a, a LaShawn McCoy style Hold no. on the ball type of way. No, I'm an old school football player. You need to tuck it away. <laughs> right? You need to you need to have that ball high and tight. Excited for Pal in training camp as we get closer to St. Joe over the next couple months here. All right, let's talk about the final pick. Offensive lineman Trey Smith, 6'6", 335, fits that bill of big ass offensive lineman <laughs> that was pretty clearly the direction the Chiefs wanted to go in. And Smith was available because of the medical history and it didn't seem like teams wanted to take a a chance on someone that was having a clotting issue. It looks like dating back to 2018, but Smith talked right after he didn't know why he fell. He felt like he's healthy. He's good lately. And if he's completely healthy, this is another lineman who could quietly sneak up and be a dark horse to maybe get that right guard position. Yeah. What we saw is, you know, we drafted Niang last year and he took the uh, the option to opt out. And that's going to be something that over the next few years. I don't know if the NFL is going to make that an option for people yeah. to do that. But you have to have so much depth going into training camp because you got to know that there's going to be some guys that choose to opt out. Right. And one thing you got to think about is your position. We, as we see the way this offensive line was transformed in one offseason. If you are not playing at a high level, if you're not pushing yourself, motivating yourself to stay hungry and humble, to go out there and do your yeoman's work and do everything at the highest level, there's going to be some younger version of yourself coming to get your spot. And I love bringing in more depth in that offensive line position. I think this young man, Trey Smith, is a guy that has first, second round qualities and talents. Too bad about the medical, right? The medical is something he couldn't control, but... Again, that's college medicine. College, that's college trainers. I believe the pros are going to be able to handle that blood clotting issue. And if they can handle that thing, I've played with a lot of guys that had a lot of different conditions that, that when they got to the NFL, for some reason, you didn't hear about these conditions anymore. Right. Sometimes I think about Hollywood Rick Burkholter. Uh, he might be the ultimate <laughs> witch doctor. I like Hollywood Rick. Maybe we'll start calling him that at Arrowhead Pride. We already call it Uncle Dave Tobe. So Hollywood Rick Burkholter, it might, might be Hollywood a fit Rick there. Should stick. Yeah, I like I like the the Trey Smith pick. I like the class a, as a whole. When you look at these six players, Sean, who is your favorite selection? I'm going to say no. I mean, obviously, linebacker, you think I would be uh, Nick Bolton, but it's Noah Gray because I believe Noah Gray is going to add an, another an, an, another tool, another immediate tool to our offense that can can create immediate impact. I believe you can do only so much defensively to take away Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And when you take those two things away, if you have another chess piece, it's almost like I see him being a second queen. If you're talking about a chessboard, he almost is a second queen. And if, if you leave Andy Reid too many queens, you have no chance to win. It's checkmate. I love that comparison. And I feel like what Tyron Matthew offers to the defense, potentially Noah Gray could offer or develop into on the offensive side of the football, as you say that. I know you probably hate this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Go for it. What's your grade of this class? If you had to grade the class of 2021 and Brett Feach and his team? Well, overall, you know, my, both my both my parents are teachers, so I love the opportunity to actually have a grade, a grade system. <laughs> um, and what, what we know about rookie uh, drafts is that because there's so much potential, 
and we got to wait until we actually see them on the field to actually grade, you know, how they do. Do they stay healthy? Do they make an impact? Do they make the roster? But just going off of the, the skills and evaluations, I would say I grade this draft class as an A minus. Um, okay. It's definitely an A level as far as the opportunities for them to play, um, opportunities for them to go. And the only reason they're not an A plus, I think, is because going into the draft, we didn't have any big holes to fill. And so there was nothing, there was that, that big aha moment, like the Chargers needed a tackle. They needed right. a corner. Their first two picks, they got a tackle in corner. So you felt like this must be an A draft class. But then the rest of their picks, they pooped their pants. So, <laughs> okay. So they end up, I mean, they ended up with two great picks at the beginning of the draft. Right. The rest of them, just, just know that this is not going to We're not even going to talk about Mike Mayock on this podcast, if that's oh, how you feel goodness. about the Chargers. Yes. So um, the AFC West definitely didn't uh, I, 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 like again, the Chiefs got an A minus. Nobody else in the AFC West got a, uh, anything higher than a B. Um, yeah. For me, I, I think this was a, a floor. Again, you got to look in the future. So we're just looking at it right now as far as needs and talent and potential. I think you're looking at a floor of B plus for Brett Beach. I feel that it was closer to an A. I'd, I actually would give it an A, but if you involve that Orlando Brown trade, which is, is yes. cheating, but hey, you use the first round pick and you still had a class of six. This is almost like an A plus draft. Like we'll see, right? But as far as needs and potential and the idea that you had to, to fill out your, your team for 2021 and trying to get back to that dance, I, I really like this class. If you had one complaint, and, and maybe, maybe that could be where your minus is, defensive back is still a need. We know that Bashad Breland is still out there. That's been floated. But just as far as this class and, and what fell to them, defensive back, the value must not have been there where, where these picks were and the Chiefs stay true to their board. They can figure that out. This hasn't been the team historically that has really invested a lot of money or day one picks. And I know it's forgotten because of the embarrassment that was the Super Bowl last year, but this is a team that's gone to three straight AFC titles and two Super Bowls with that strategy at the defensive back position. So I'm not going to kill them there again. So a draft for me. I like the way the Chiefs are going, and let's see how they address that defensive back position as we go here. Don't you agree? I do, and I think the draft class, as far as defensive backs, was very top loaded this year. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, it was, it was a big three, maybe four, depending on Caleb Farley's medical, how you assessed yeah. him. But it was only four deep, and after that, everybody else was kind of like a fifth to seventh round pick. I mean, you probably can find free agent corners that end up becoming better than the ones people drafted in the second and third right. round. So why, why you, why do you utilize any tr draft capital when you're talking about you know positions that are really crapshoots? And I think that it's just I mean, that's just some way, uh, some ways the draft um, ends up coming, uh, coming around is just the talent, the way it lays out from year to year. Every position is just not uber depth. It has uber depth. And this year was one that if you didn't get Pat Sertain, if you didn't get South Carolina Horn, JC Horn. Horn, if you didn't get Car Farley, if you didn't get the guy from North Northwestern, like after those four, I mean, there may be Asante Samuels Jr. Everybody after that, is pretty pretty much probably not even close to the you know the talent you already have in the building. And we'll I would see. go with the, I would go with the corners we got. Oh my goodness, I would go with the guys we got, Bo Peep and Sneed over everybody else left in that draft. Right, and and the hidden guy too, I think in this is DeAndre Baker, who was a former first round pick, and the Chiefs were really high on. And it's funny that you say this, but his 
injury was a clean fracture, which actually was a good thing in the sense of he should come back full strength and not really have to worry. It's not like one of those ACL tears or anything like that. And so I think the Chiefs are okay at that position. And, and you look at the rest of the needs that they filled and, and the potential really like this draft. All right, Sean, I appreciate you joining us here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network to review this 2021 draft class. Give me your Twitter handle, how people can follow you, what they should look forward to. All right. Uh, you, you can follow me on Twitter at SeanBarber59, mm-hmm. obviously on Facebook. Most likely you'll see me somewhere around the community doing something with the Chiefs Ambassadors. That's what we do. We, uh, as an alumni group, we try to uh, bring impact. Just had a, uh, we helped the Tom's Town kick off their partnership with the Chiefs as the new gen of the Chiefs. Oh, I love um, that. So between those type uh, venues, obviously Red Door Grill is a great place, an opportunity to go down to the Red Door Grill. I'll give, I give, I give you a sneak peek on Wednesdays nights, on Wednesday okay. nights, look around at your area, Red Dog Grill. You might see an ambassador there for an mm-hmm. hour, maybe doing a podcast near you. Wow. A sneak peek on something look that might that. be coming down the line. I love that. I love that news right there here on the Arrowhead Pride podcast. Sean, we got to make these special appearances a little bit more frequent. We appreciate you breaking down this class for us. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride podcast network.